from KQED. It was a Wednesday night blow up and an angry Jerry Brown, it seemed like, at the state capitol. My zeal has been intensified to a maximum degree, and nothing, nothing is going to stop this state from pushing forward. With intensified zeal, this is the California (laughs) Politics Podcast for September 10th. We might need more coffee to really have (laughs) intensified zeal. If we really want to be that zealous. Um, I'm John Myers from KQED News, along with Marisa Lagos from KQED News and Anthony York of the Grizzly Bear Project. This is an abbreviated version of our weekly look at the world of politics and government because the legislature is still in session. They've got a little bit longer uh, before they adjourn on Friday. And apparently now we get extra innings into the fall, we heard on uh, Wednesday. Um, We want to talk about probably just two topics, one big topic. uh, Well, actually, they're both two big topics. They came out on Wednesday night. And then next week, uh, tune back in. We'll try to kind of do a bigger winners, losers, what the hell to make of everything that happened in the legislature. But but this time on the podcast, we want to talk about the big news on Senate Bill 350, the big uh, change in the bill to take out the petroleum standards, and then um, the announcement that there will be no transportation deal, a transportation funding plan before the legislature finishes its regular business on Friday. So let's go to SB 350. That was the governor's comment where he was... Um, a little grumpy, a little angry, a little... I, I want to start a new hashtag, hashtag Angry Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> there at the end, announcing uh, at the state capitol uh, Wednesday afternoon with the two legislative leaders beside him that um, uh, Senate Bill 350 was having to be amended, the, the, the mandate of cutting petroleum use in California by half... Uh, over the next 15 years was being taken out because the oil industry had effectively won that battle inside the halls of the Capitol. And so now SB 350 appears destined for passage in a smaller version focused only on renewable energy and energy efficiency. What's the uh, what's the big takeaway, Mr. York, you were thinking about this as you walked into the studio? Uh, yeah, well, I, the big takeaway for me is a, the first major loss for Jerry Brown in the Capitol in four years. I mean, this is the first time since he failed to get the Republicans to go along with the special election in 2011 that on a on a major issue that he hasn't just been able to walk in at the last minute, twist the arms and get his way. This is a governor who prides himself on not reacting to every to anybody else's timeline. There's a sequencing. Anybody who's watched Jerry Brown over the last four or five years knows that there's a sequencing and a rhythm to the way he engages, the way he does business. And that was, frankly, that was just simply not enough this time. You had a, you had, I think he underestimated uh, his opposition and the power of the oil industry and the power of the oil industry within the Democratic caucus. And I, there are a lot of reasons. I mean, I think you can look at some of the dynamics in the assembly and, and uh, you know, the, the lack of uh, buy-in from the assembly and, and, you know, say what you will about John Perez, but he knew how to whip votes in his house. And, and so there are a lot of things going on, but the big takeaway for me is, is a, a big, big loss for Jerry Brown. I agree, except I would argue that this wasn't as big of a priority for him as, say, the tax thing, it, specifically the oil piece. It's crazy. Think, it was in his inaugural address. This well, is like right, the climate he, debate is is what he's making his name. Of course, this no, is a no, big no. deal. But he's not. But he I don't think ever felt like it needed to be codified into legislation this year. That was a push that the pro tem de Leon took on. I think this is a bigger loss for him. I think that Brown is going to continue to push this issue through the Air Resources Board and that he, you know, I, I think you're right. I think he made some miscalculations about the assembly and the mods there. I think he sort of 
decided to go after the oil issue. Um, you know, maybe there could have been some middle ground on this issue of oversight of the Air Resources Board. I certainly hear understand why he wouldn't want to do that. But, you know, I don't think that I think he could have gotten to a majority without some of those folks who were very tied to oil. Um, I, I think what's fascinating here is that and, and I think I think there's you know, none of us know for sure. It's the danger of kind of armchair uh, analysis here. But what the hell? That's uh, what we do, what we do in a podcast. My arms are yeah, your chair. arms are not quite hitting those armrests in the studio. But I, but I, 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 I suspect that I suspect that the governor wanted it, that he believed in it. But, you know, clearly it looked by Wednesday that he had made the determination and maybe he'd made the determination earlier. That wait a minute, I can I can I can figure a way out to get something sure. out of this. I mean, now yeah. it's the public campaign; it's it's all of that. But but to the public campaign and to the the, the nature of the way that the governor has operated over the last few years, he very much likes to operate behind the scenes. There's a lot of that inside the Capitol diplomacy. He doesn't play the outside game a lot, and I wonder if an outside game would have helped here because you are talking about the oil industry you are talking about and you, and and they launched a very yeah, public outside. campaign they certainly think the outside yeah. game helped right and yeah. so and so yeah. this is a governor who has prided himself on getting things done inside the world of of government and not and, and not governing by by press conference right. but there are values to the press conference strategy sometimes especially on a major issue like this where there's there's a lot of i mean the the I mean, way that the oil never frame... talked about it i don't think in public i never saw him do no, an event mm-hmm. no I'm, and and the, the way the oil industry framed this debate that they were going to ration the miles driven and that they were going to collect your data from your car computer and big brother was going to have access to the data that Honda apparently already has. So, um, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, whatever, whatever the motivation, I mean, I think, you know, what, uh, look, we have seen governors uh, run into roadblocks on these issues in the past. Governor Schwarzenegger found out very quickly that he could use, uh, you know, the executive authority of the governor's office to implement regulations, uh, you know, to, to meet these environmental goals. Do I expect to see more executive action from Brown on this? Yes, absolutely. But but you know, but I do think uh, this debate has been really fascinating in, in bringing some things into focus. Um, number one is sort of the the uh, the environment ver- uh, versus the economy. So I think we've had a pretty candid discussion about that. I mean, I guess a new chapter in that ongoing yeah in that debate. ongoing debate. But then, but also the real focus on communities of color and where and where uh, the and the environmental impacts and the economic impacts of this legislation are, are are both felt and they're both in the same communities and this sort of war for the for the black and Latino vote, which I think is is fascinating and will really inform. A lot of this debate going forward, and and that came up in this Wednesday Q and A. So it was Big Governor time. Brown, uh, Senate President Pro Tem Kevin DeLeon, Assembly Speaker Tony Atkins, and DeLeon, who talked about the PR campaign of the oil industry and others, um, called it a smokescreen. Said we couldn't break through, we couldn't get through. But he also had some comments about this notion that those communities of color had been um, campaigned. Uh, with and Lobby. and saying that this yeah. was a bad thing for them, and so his comments on that. Yeah. I do find an ir- ironic uh, perversity to this situation, where you have CEOs of the most wealthiest and powerful uh, uh, companies in the world who make upwards up to twenty twenty five million dollars a year, all of a sudden have become the best friends of minority communities, African American Latino communities. 
because that's been the narrative. And all of a sudden, you know, whether you're, you're the CEO of a Chevron down the road in San Ramon, all of a sudden you're best friends of uh, Latinos and African-Americans who are on the record disproportionately impacted, again, by both climate change and other criteria pollutants. That's a fact that can't be disputed with a talking point. Yeah, and I think that that was obviously, I mean, the program called out Chevron and other companies and that. But I think that was also a little bit of a dig at some of the uh, assembly members who had been, you know, speaking up against this. You, you, you can say Henry Perea. That's well, okay. that I was about to, specifically Henry Perea, you know, who who did talk about Assemblyman from Fresno, Democrat. Yeah, about their constituencies and how they were worried about them. And I, you know, I think that's been interesting, you know, this this narrative on the side of oil that, you know, does De Leon even care about his communities? Um, you know, and I think some of his comments have been backed up by a lot of polls that have shows, yeah, Latinos really do care about the environment. I mean, obviously, everything gets a little bit more squishy when you start talking about your own pocketbook. But, it, you know, it, it was fascinating. And, and De Leon in general last night, Wednesday night, really talked, you know, sort of seemed to be like admitting defeat and claiming victory at the same time. It was an interesting, I think, sort of line he was straddling. He was clearly disappointed about the oil piece, um, but he still gets 350, right? It, it seems very likely that this is going to pass both houses. And so I think that he's sort of in an interesting position. I mean, he really wanted this bill to pass. Yeah. I mean, and there will be significant, uh, you know, pieces to 350. It's just that the, the, you know, the easiest piece to glom onto from the public is, is the oil piece. And so regardless of how significant as the the final version of SB 350 is, it's hard not to see this um, this amendment process as, as a huge setback for the original proponent. So if you if you look at kind of trying to decide where the wheels came off on this thing. So uh, the 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 oil, the oil portion of 350 was always the big thing, the big thing everybody talked about, which is fascinating, may I just say for a moment as, a, as, a, as another point, because there was a lot of wheeling and dealing on the renewable energy parts of SB 350. There was a lot of wheeling and de- dealing with investor-owned utilities, the big utilities, and wanting some way to affect uh, the bill that would keep their bottom line from getting hurt when customers went to these community choice uh, aggregation systems of energy. And conversely, the CCAs wanted their own uh, you know, financial protections. There was a lot of wheeling and dealing there, but that seemed to work. That seemed to somehow everybody, enough people came on board to get that part. There never felt like a lot of wheeling and dealing uh, on the 350, at least in terms of like what you could find as a middle ground. And so... You know, every little moment we could glimpse of the negotiations here when everything imploded was kind of interesting. Uh, There was a very long meeting between the governor, the two Democratic leaders, and some other folks in the Senate pro tem's office on Wednesday. A lot of us were on stakeout in the press corps, and nobody said anything when they left. And there was even language circulating at the very last moment, at the 11th hour, I mean, an hour before the press conference, suggesting maybe a middle ground on the oil part, like that it would be more... Uh, targets for oil reduction, not firm mandates and limits on it. But the governor had this comment in his press conference, which I want to use for a moment, talking about one particular player that he kind of pointed at, and that was the oil company Chevron. The whole debate last night, and I talked to the representatives from Chevron, was uh, somehow weaken the Air Resources Board authority. Don't, if we would give, if we would have said, we'll weaken the authority, they would have been for the bill 100%. I think that, I mean, really is where 
the governor's comments crystallized around what the debate really was behind the scenes. I mean, there have been people, especially, you know, on the business and Republican side of the aisles, and for the years, Democratic side. But now yeah. in, in recent years, more moderate Democrats who have been very upset about the Air Resources Board perceived power and sort of their their perception that they've run roughshod over that. And this was, I think, really at the heart of the oil debate. It, it wasn't about the targets. It was about trying to take some of the power away from that board and give it to the legislature, who I think, you know, business has had a better track record at yeah. influencing. Well, yeah. and, you, and you look at some of the comments here in, in the very last throws of this. So um, I did a little Q&A on our, our friends down in Los Angeles, KPCC Public Radio, um, on one of their shows. And they had on before me, Assembly Member Adam Gray, Democrat of Merced, one of these who had balked against everything, who framed this notion of the legislature having oversight as uh, democracy. We're the ones elected by the people. We should have a say over these things. But this battle between regulatory authority, which is the executive branch and the governor, and statutory authority, which is the legislature. I mean, it's it's an old battle in politics. But this particular part, because the Air Board has been so prominent in deciding how the climate change goals would get met, cap and trade, yep. everything back to the 2006 negotiations. Yep. It's almost like it has been a fight brewing for years that this was kind of the well, boiling over. It has. I mean, they've been taken to court by by business. And they, still are. Yeah. You know, they're in court. And I think um, I think that's where it was interesting to see. You know, I think that the group of assembly members who had concerns with this, I mean, leading the charge was really um a lot of concern that this was just big oil influencing them. But I don't think that was the entire group. I do think there was, you know, a substantial block that were really more concerned with this oversight issue. Um, and, I, you know, and I think that the governor, to him, I mean, that was the last thing he wanted to do, right? Like, I think he probably would have been happy to move on some of the targets because, again, I don't think he really thought it needed to be codified into law this year. But when it came to taking away his authority and the authority of the board that he sees as really making the progress on this issue. I mean, he said last you, night that next week they're going to roll out lower, lower carbon fuel standards, the right. Air Resources Board. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and this has been, look, there's no doubt that since the passage of AB 32 in 2006, the Air Resources Board has become the most powerful regulatory agency in California. I mean, that's without a doubt. And I think that there's a, a, a real philosophical debate about whether that sort of power should be in the hands of elected representatives, people who are actually uh, beholden to their constituents or to an appointed board. Um, you know, that is that is a real debate. But um, but that's that's a place where Democrats are are not uh, not eager to move. They don't want to cede that authority. And I think that Marisa to Marisa's point that the oil industry feels a lot more comfortable in their ability to uh, influence, let's say, members of the legislature than they do members of, of the ARB. And I think also, you know, something we've discussed is, you know, whether or not in some ways, even for the losses, this plays well for Brown because he gets to come out and talk publicly about the big, big bad oil industry and beat his chest now and sort of because and he has been criticized by folks on the left for, you know, blocking fracking regulations and sort of speaking out of both sides of his mouth around this issue. And on the one hand, they're the biggest threat to our future. On the other hand, no, that's not the right way to actually go after them. So, you know, I wonder if the governor doesn't see a bit of a political win here in, in the coming months leading up to Paris. Well, certainly, I think my I think to your point, just to just because I mean, this gets to to the other interesting part is this. We've all watched the governor really crystallize his um, 
his message, his calling around climate change over the last, I don't know, uh, 10 months, a year, year yeah. and a half. I mean, it has become his thing. And, and, and I think that I think that works in a lot of ways, because what you're saying is, Marisa, is that, you know, now he's got a new way to approach it. He's got he's got an enemy in some way. It's not just Republicans. It is, you know, I mean, it was this comment that he said to reporters in Tahoe, you know, they're putting out a dangerous product. And now yesterday, you know, talking again about the oil industry did this and that and everything else. And even his comments in the press conference where he again talked about the larger stakes of climate change. This is an existential threat to your children. Everybody's talking about what's happened to me. I'll be fine at least for the next 15 or 20 years, however long I'm going to be around. You won't be. <laughs> I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be gone. <laughs> your kids. But he's going to live into his 90s. He, he, uh, he called a shot. Though. Right. But I'm doing things for you. I'm doing things for the future. He has pivoted in such a way. Uh, one, it put a big target on the bill because then, I mean, you know, the leverage uh, power is, is amazing. I mean, and, and, you know, the things that happen in politics we've already talked about. But at some point, and we'll get to the next subject in a minute, it runs the risk of sucking so much oxygen out of everything else that could be on a governor's agenda. I mean, right? I mean, because because he yeah. can't devote that space. And people in the world of politics are looking for the way you can leverage X to Y to Z. I mean, it, it's a... And he knows that. He's as smart in politics as anyone. Yeah, it's an interesting pivot for this second term, right? And, and you know, hard if you go back through the first term of... of uh, Third term. Th- of, right, the the second first term, uh, uh, um, you know, find me a, an enemy of this stature that the governor has picked a fight with. I mean, there really isn't one. There have been there have been skirmishes along the way and and issues that he's you know that he's that he's picked out. But they there has you know there's been a sustained crusade for fiscal responsibility and for t- but there hasn't been this sort of almost personification, if you will, of, of of a real enemy. It's not Jerry versus big oil. I mean, there's there's nothing like that in his first term. Um, and and frankly, I'm interested to see what his stomach for this fight is, because, I, you know, the 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 oil industry occupies a very interesting space in this state. I mean, you look at number one, because their product has a fundamental impact on the pocketbook of almost every California interesting uh, space know. now and in the past is kind yeah, of yeah right yeah I mean you know the fact that we're one of the largest oil producing states in the in in the country but that but also that everybody pays gas tax and that's always been their argument that you know uh, these regulations are going to cost you more at the pump and you know and and that's that's a very populist message and and Brown has not gone against that that sort of uh, political foe during over the last four years. And I'll be interested to see, I mean, given what you said about, I think you're absolutely right about his increased focus on climate, uh, will inter- be interesting to see how long he keeps this up and uh, and and what his next move is. Well, and, and again, to the power of the air board, what will he do through it? I mean, because as Marisa said, right, I mean, he said the air board next week is going to roll out new regulations on low, low carbon fuels. That has been a big issue for the oil right. industry. It's not like they've said, no, we're not going to do it, but how you get there. And uh, and then we continue with cap and trade. We still don't yeah. know about the money mm-hmm. from cap and trade. That's still pending as we're recording this in the Capitol. There's right. so many places where he can push and pull here i think it's going to be and will he you know next year and the in the next three years push for these targets to right. be enshrined into law he he made that point a lot on wednesday night that, that it's not necessarily this over is just the first year of his fourth term and that you know yeah. he but 
and he's going to live into his 90s. So, right. You so, know. you know, we could amend the Constitution and he could have a fifth term. But but, but it's also, I think, important to, just from a policy perspective to get some sense. This is not like we're going from 50 to zero. You know, I mean, the estimates are on the natural because of increased fuel economy standards that have already passed that oil use from transportation will on the natural be cut by 35 percent. Yeah, I was going to say oh. somewhere in the 30 mark. Yeah, so, like this was this was so a, this is this an was additional 15 percent, 15 to 20 percent or so. So I, I think that gets lost in this debate. And this is not like, you know, we got zeroed out. I mean, we are making progress along uh, a along this path anyway. It's just a matter of how quickly and how much. But I may, before I want to, because I want to talk about uh, the other big thing that was announced, which was kind of buried <laughs> in the news after that SB 350 thing. Not purposely announced, but... <laughs> yeah, but, but, but just to that point, Anthony, but doesn't that then give credence to the argument that um, the bill wasn't necessary, that you didn't necessarily need to do this, and that this was not the right fight to pick in the right way? Because we're already getting there on the natural. Regulatory authority exists. Was there really, truly the stomach for some of these people about the policy versus more about the optics and the politics of getting this win? Yeah, clearly not. I mean, if you look at the results, you know, in hindsight, clearly not. And and whether it was gettable with a little bit more political spade work, I mean, that's we can debate that over the summer when we have nothing else to talk about. I also wonder just quickly, too, what the political ramifications for all of the major players. I mean, we've talked about the governor. Uh, the Senate pro tem, Kevin DeLeon, he put a lot of energy and a lot of uh, he staked a lot on this fight. Uh, we'll see what the ramifications for him in terms of um, his power, his ability to move other parts of his agenda and his caucus, because every leader only uh, uh, is in power as long as their caucus wants them to be in power. And then also a player who has no elected uh, position but has an awful lot of money and a megaphone, and that's Tom Steyer, the wealthy billionaire activist who uh, is close with Kevin DeLeon, who seemed to be uh, itching for a fight earlier in the summer when he talked about the oil industry and gas prices in California. What does a Tom Steyer look at here? And even the governor, last point for me, even the governor suggested in the Wednesday evening news conference that maybe this is a ballot measure fight, that maybe there's a ballot measure part out of all of this. Hey, and the governor does have $30 million in the bank, all right? Yeah. $30 million and Tom Steyer's probably got 10 times yeah. that amount. So who knows? I mean, so the political possibilities are endless, and, and you're right. I mean, we can... We'll get to chew about this over the summer. So much fun. But the one the thing. Fall. That, the fall. The fall. Summer's almost over. Oh, right. Where the hell am it's, I? It's September, guys. Oh, well. Um, it, you wouldn't know it in Sacramento no. with 105 degrees, but oh. I digress. So um, the thing that was somewhat buried out of the press conference um, was an announcement uh, that came through the assembly speaker, Tony Atkins, that I had <laughs> to decide, actually stop her. I would say. Yeah, I had to stop her and clarify. I'm like, wait a minute. So what you're saying is about transportation and transportation funding in the special session. So Speaker Atkins said it ain't going to happen by Friday, and I don't think anybody in the Capitol is surprised by that, but we are going to convene a special conference committee that will meet in the fall, and remember, folks, they can meet during the fall because they can meet under special session. The special session doesn't have to be gaveled down on Friday. So it's kind of like an information I'm time. I'm sure they're all super excited about that. Right, exactly. Lawmakers, come back to Sacramento and meet and talk about transportation. But I want to talk about the transportation thing for a moment because that's also a place where there never seemed to be anything that got over the immovable object, and the immovable yeah. object being Republicans and new tax revenues. Well, and before, you know, 
last point on SB 350, Uh-oh. I think that sucked all the air out of the room. I don't think that there was ever a concerted effort by the governor or leadership to really focus on transportation or, or the not other special session yeah. health that seems also not uh, – who knows? What's not happening. I'm going to put out his transportation plan, though. I mean, there was there – was, I, I, but it would have I, taken I a harder argue, lift to Marisa's yeah. point. But I would argue that there's been more sort of at least stuff that's leaked out on the transportation oh, yeah. side than we there has been over SB 350. If you're talking about where where there was late engagement, the governor's office seemed seemed pretty engaged on the transportation stuff, and um, and at least publicly less so on on 350. But I, I think we all, even when this was called, we kind of knew the, the odds on this one were long. And you talk about potential ballot fights and where. Where where this heads, um, you know? I mean, look, it, it's another it's another blemish on the democratic on the uh, on the democratic scorecard, uh, you know, which has been pretty solid over the last four years. Um, now, you know, I, I I've written a lot of these sort of legislative wrap up stories over the last several years, and I think this year's this year's story will be a little different. I mean, it's going to be a lot less uh, a lot less glowing and uh, there will be a lot a much shorter list of accomplishments than than uh, than in previous years because the transportation issue never got over as i called it the immovable object you know the the um the opposition to tax revenues new tax and revenues from republicans if you were sitting back and looking at this in the winter and spring and you're the majority party at the capitol was your strategy just simply can we pick off enough votes and that may have been the strategy. And frankly, I can't see another one. But that's the thing. Should you have had a backup strategy? Is there a way to deal with this without the revenue issue that was going to get you the two thirds? It was going to be the problem because because you knew going in there was no secret that you were going to have a hard time getting over the hurdle that, to your point, Anthony, the governor could not get over in 2011. This is the ongoing saga of Sacramento about Republicans and revenues. Or, and I don't even know if I believe this, but is the, cal- it out there anyway. it out there. is the calculation that, you know, the very few Republican votes that you need to pick off in both houses to get to two thirds would be easier done in a special session in the fall when the sort of distraction of everything else percolating isn't there. And, you know, I think there's several members in both houses that are looking towards local offices that, you know, might be better served by um, supporting transportation funding. Bob Huff. (laughs) 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 No, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I think mostly it's that they ran out of time and, and sort of bandwidth, but maybe there is some calculation that it's a lot easier to have these conversations when nothing else is going on. I'd argue there's less going on in February than there is in September. No, right, exactly, because there is that dead period <laughs> right. after everybody returns. Right. But it's it, it... yeah, but then the I mean, part of why I believe the governor took both transportation and healthcare into special sessions was to take it out of the budget discussion. Absolutely. And and when you get to January and you're you're rolling out, you put it right back in. Yeah, back I just in. feel like That's that fine. you know. So it it it's just it 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 was a long shot all along. Um, I don't think anybody was surprised that it wasn't going to happen by the time they gaveled out on Friday night. It, Boy, I just don't know what the dynamics of a almost, it's not a lame duck session, it's the wrong term, but yeah. it's like this, it's this non-attached to any real deadline system of conference committee. That's kind of where you go to just contemplate things without an actual <laughs> timeline. I mean, it, it really does, if you're a transportation advocate in this state, you cannot feel good with the uh, announcement that we're going to study this in conference committee because that just feels like you're just 
you're putting it way back. And it's also the sand running out on um, both tenures of leadership in the assembly, too. Mm-hmm. You know, Kristen Olson and Tony Atkins are both lame ducks. They are lame ducks. And you have two new leaders coming in in January, Anthony Rendon, the new speaker, which we didn't discuss. I think we had teased the possibility of a, a new speaker. Yeah. Although, we, although we were that. sort of joking about it. I Maybe we were joking. Maybe we weren't. I right, because it was a late announcement that Rendon right. had the votes and, and, and not taking over until 2016. But you, so but, I but will... you raise a great point, because now that transition period is supposed to be the fall. Like people think about their staffs. They think who's going to be in their leadership team. You know, I mean, everything is. And and now we have this conference committee going. Who actually controls the agenda of that conference committee on transportation? See, something else to talk about in the fall. (laughs) Yeah. And I think Rendon's just place is going to be really interesting to figure out because he depended on a lot of the moderate Democrats that were key in this 350 fight to get the leadership. But he comes from an environmental background. He's, you know, sort of made his name around the water bond and on taking on the PUC on the utilities commission or on the utilities um, committee. So I think it'll be fascinating to see you know, not just around transportation, but in a lot of these issues where he positions himself and his leadership team yeah. going into 2016. Caucus. And the new caucus, presumably with Raul Bocanegra coming back and the rise of, you know, and Prey you and presume Adam Gray. that Mr. Bocanegra is going to win. I'm calling it, yes. <laughs> wow. Bold. <laughs> Bold. It's a other, another whole podcast. We Something have, else we could talk about. We got plenty of time for that, York. All right. All right. So let's take it at those two, those two uh, this time. Uh, legislature is still in session as we speak here in our little uh, cramp studio. Uh, next week, we're going to do a little bit of a different podcast. We're, um, we're taking the podcast on the road. Uh, we're going to be speaking to a group of folks in San Francisco, the Bay Area Council. Uh, we think we're recording the podcast there. <laughs> Keep your fingers crossed that all the technical parts work. Um, but they want to talk about what, what to make of the legislative session. And so that'll be a chance to hear their questions too, especially from a business audience, which might be different than others. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, let's go watch session um, for Marisa Lagos and Anthony York. I'm John Myers. As always, thanks for listening to our California Politics Podcast.